Hello and welcome to the Blitz Book Club podcast, where our community of bookworms will bring you our thoughts on all things books. My name is Cheryl Till and in this episode we will be exploring Dark Academia, looking at Chloe Gong's young adult novel, These Violent Delights. To start, I would like to acknowledge the Bedigal and Gadigal peoples of the Eora Nation and the Ngunnawal people, whose land on which UNSW resides. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and pay my respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening along with us today. This is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, I am joined today by... Uh, Belle Campbell. Alex Stevens. And Kevin. Ding. <laughs> that was the I'm best comedic timing <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> cool. Anyway, so we are talking about these violent delights, which is based on Romeo and Juliet. And it's a historical fantasy set in 1920s Shanghai, where the characters are from rivaling gangs fighting against a monster that is causing a madness to descend on the city. Um, now, I know that everyone who is on the book club today, or in the book club today, rather, has quite different opinions on the book. So I'm just wondering, does anyone want to start us off with what they thought about it? I gave it five out of five. Um, crazy. Um, but I really enjoyed this. Um, I love a good Shakespeare retelling. Um, I love when I do something different and interesting. And I really loved, um, particularly, I'm, I'm a setting person. I'm an atmosphere person. So the way she constructs setting in this is just gorgeous. Um, I loved the description and the sensory descriptions. Um, even from like the first line, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like in Glittering Shanghai, a monster awakens. And it like talks about it, like the whole first chapter is just about how the city and how the monster is in the city, um, which really like conjured the sense of atmosphere and you know the tension and I didn't know anything about 1920s Shanghai um when I went into this so it was really awesome to read about that and the different tensions and the gangs and at the end there's a whole bunch of historical notes um which I think was really cool to see author research and everything as for the plot um I thought it was relatively straightforward it's still a YA novel um, but it was an interesting take on Romeo and Juliet and I liked that they were, you know, um, they'd already been lovers and now they were enemies again. We love a good enemies to lovers plotline. Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, I didn't see the ending coming. I was quite shocked. So that was good. I'm pretty sure I just like gasped out loud, um, when <laughs> I read that particular scene. Um, so yeah, so I I honestly enjoyed it. I thought the characters were interesting. Um, yeah, I think that definitely though it's a build up for the second one, um, which did slightly bug me that it was like, there were a lot of loose ends left so she could pick them up in the second book. Um, but apart from that, like I thought it was a pretty solid YA novel. Yeah, that's my positive <laughs> review. <laughs> I do echo a lot of Alexa's thoughts as well. Um, the only reason why I probably wouldn't rate, rate it as high in terms of the star system um, is just my personal like aversion to YA, which um, which actually made this book quite a surprise for me because it was I found the story engrossing, um, and it was a page turner. Like halfway through the book, I you know got through the chapters pretty quickly. I think a lot of that has to do with the descriptions. Um, not just of the setting, which I'll get to in a bit. I love, I love the use of the setting, but um, also just 
character characterizations. I went in thinking that this will be a straight retelling of Romeo and Juliet, uh, except it really isn't. What it does is kind of take the archetype of who Romeo and Juliet are in that original play and kind of let them play out in this other setting. Um, and, you know, Juliet's a lot more feisty um, and, and both of them are actually a lot more that I think they share a commonality which draws them together, which is like they have to put on this facade. They have to be hardened on the outside, but secretly they're very tender people. Um, and I quite enjoyed that. I think it, it, it's good as well. It's got a lot of small good messages um, for younger readers, for like teenage readers. Uh, and it was enjoyable. So, so that's it. It doesn't, yeah, it wouldn't be a five out of five for me because there's no, there's no like punch to it. You know, there's no big message that's relevant to today, let's say, or like a, a big, uh, big topics that you can think about for days after. It's just a really well-constructed novel, in my opinion. Um, but what I loved most was the melding of the fantasy elements, the romance, and also the setting of 1920 Shanghai. Um, I'm just going to put out that Shanghai is one of my favorite cities to learn about and study and read about and also visit as well. Um, and a lot of writers who set their books or even movies set in, around this period in Shanghai usually just have like art deco buildings and then a couple parks and people speaking different languages and nothing else and it feels very like forced or fake or kind of it, there is no you know a complete lack of research but this book is so research the point like road names connecting to one another are correct um old road names and new road names match uh just all these different things anyway yeah i love the use of the settings amazing and even the the, the when she describes it in dialects as well when Juliet like pops out the Winchell dialect I was like wow she's done research about um cultural specificities it's it's quite amazing yeah I mean I appreciated the research I do like a good historical fiction I mean actually that's why I love historical fiction and I love well-researched historical fiction um I don't really like YA. I think we've covered this before, Kevin, kind of like you. I'm not big on it, but I did appreciate the way it was constructed and I felt like, you know, the setting was good and everything. I kind of felt like I still needed a map because I didn't know the setting and I kept finding myself trying to flip back to the start of the book and looking for this missing map to orient myself because it feels like the kind of book that has a map, but it does not. Um, but I don't, really love the book I think I it's mean it's a real we, map sorry <laughs> it's a map of the city yeah 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 but like it's not the same you know you kind of I like I want a map that has the territories of the gangs and everything in color and things like that um but no I feel like maybe it's on me maybe I set my expectations too high because if you've been listening to past episodes I have been hyping about this book up until the point when I read it and then I was like wait why did I why was I invested why did I want to read this um, because I don't know if to me it felt more like horror and gore rather than dark academia. It didn't really have any of those elements that I was looking for. There's nothing specific about the writing that I dislike. I think like Alexa and Kevin have said, the setting is really well described and it does have a lot of that flowery language that I do enjoy sometimes. But I just found myself like skimming through the book and putting it down and jumping all over the place. And by halfway through, I resented having to finish this for the book club. It was so slow in the middle and it was a slog and it was not engaging. 
I think it does pick up in about like the last 50-ish pages, but it's a real effort to get there. And it took me like four weeks to push through to the last 50 pages after having sped through the first half of the book pretty quickly. And just by that point, I was like ready to give it two stars, but the ending picks up enough that, you know, I thought, you know, it might warrant three stars. The actual third star is more from the premise and the fact that, you know, it's a well-constructed idea that melds together things quite successfully, but it really doesn't have a lot of characterization up until the end. I felt like the romance plotline is kind of hinted at, but it isn't really explored until we get to, spoilers alert, um, Juliet's feelings towards the end where she starts to kind of explore the complexity of the relationship that has come from this love and hate and rivalry and everything there. and. Yeah, I don't know. I Like I said, maybe I hyped it up too much. I was really excited to read this book. It is an impressive feat for anyone so young to have written a book like this, which has massive amounts of research, a lot of um, magical realism elements with fantasy that has quite few plot holes, as far as I can tell, and relatively well-constructed characters, albeit stolen from Romeo and Juliet, because unlike you, Alexa, I do not particularly like adaptations, although I did enjoy Cinder by uh, Marissa Mayer. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's just not for me. I don't know. I can't tell. Um, you guys can discuss and counter, and we shall see. But first, I want to hear from Belle, because I know you gave it an actual two stars, which I was tempted to do, and I, I really want to know what you thought. Yes, I did rate this book two stars and I agree with a lot of the points that you made, Cheryl. And I was pretty on the fence about two or three stars because like everybody else, I, I really did enjoy the setting. I thought it was really original. I thought it was really well researched. Um, you could tell the author has a passion uh, for this period in time and this setting. And it really, really shone through um, in her description and Shanghai was probably to me the biggest and the most uh, well um, invested in character um, that really made the other characters look completely 2D. So <laughs> whilst I think it is good that the setting is important, I think that you do have to pay a little bit more attention to your characters. And I think this author used Romeo and Juliet as a bit of a crutch. Um, uh, to not develop characters, um, especially the romance. I unfortunately did not buy that these characters were in love whatsoever. Like I, 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 okay, I, I accepted perhaps that they did have something when they were younger, but given the like abject violence um, that these two perpetrated against each other, spoilers alert. Um, and I understand that, you know, in the original Romeo and Juliet, that's the situation as well. But back then it is, it, it is a true love story. It is a star-crossed lovers, love at first sight story. And this is not, this is a reformed former lovers story. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but what I, the reason, main reason I, I rated this book two stars was I felt that the writing was quite underwhelming, quite um, underdeveloped, unfortunately. Just, and I, I feel like this may be a personal thing for me, perhaps me just coming to terms with some of the aspects of the YA genre that I have been maybe um, willfully blind to <laughs> for a while now and I'm, I'm starting to no longer be able to ignore. Um, 
but I really am starting to take issue with the way that uh, contemporary authors transplant modern day like social and political commentary into historical settings and like I understand that nobody wants to read about characters with really outdated perspectives like that's fine um, but I think it can get to a point where it is literally slapping you in the face sometimes and that's how I felt unfortunately with this book um, there was some really important um, representation and characters that I really enjoyed um, but it was more the um, like the close third person narration which I was like is this Juliet's point of view or is this no the narrator's point of view is this Roma's point of view does he have these views um, and because we had all of these like changing perspectives and POVs all the time I was like who's who's like whose opinion is this like who has these really like anti-communist um like points of view is it the narrator or is it like the the characters like it was a little bit confusing um and I definitely was very cognizant of the fact that this was written by um somebody living in 2021 so I don't know I I, I did find this quite disappointing in those areas but I did enjoy, and I agree, I agree with uh, Cheryl that it did pick up in the last 50 pages, but for me, it wasn't quite enough. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see whether or not the second book does actually improve, knowing that this is something that's been written, I mean, while Chloe Gong was still in uni. So it'd be quite interesting to see where it grows from there, because it's quite an early work of hers. I mean, I think it's actually her first work. So <laughs> yeah, um, but I would agree with you, Belle, in terms of what you said about the modern perspectives. I didn't even really think about it until you said it. But the whole thing about how they keep passing off all Juliet's quirks and her independence style as being like oh just because she went to America and that's where it comes from like even in 1920s America there were limits people were not running around the streets um you know just like it was yeah it was a bit too much well yeah and, and the book um like Juliet's perspective <laughs> I, it's not her dialogue but I suppose it's her POV she recognizes that she talks about like violence against black people and the Ku Klux Klan um and so I was like oh, wow, okay, so, you know, we have these really different um, kind of, like, uh, levels of awareness, um, and there was, yeah, there was a lot of talk about, like, um, the idea of colonialization, obviously, and um, uh, the idea of people living on stolen land, um, so there was, I think, a lot of discussion of really important social issues, but unfortunately, they didn't feel very, like, it was, um, kind of felt like paying lip service but not really investigating um those issues and it kind of feels like at that point it's like well why why are you mentioning them if if they're not going to be developed that's so interesting I, I i suppose i half of me agrees with what bella's pointed out but also i would like to try to defend the author a little bit play devil's advocate but um I think what bothered me slightly was how predictable it was because the book followed um, like particular tropes and particular ideals of like characters that we would have uh, looking back at a time like the 1920s. Like, of course, can I spoil it? I can't spoil it, right? I can spoil it? Okay. Like, of course, the bad guy was the, the douchebag white man 
you know, like from the beginning, I like as soon as that character came out, I was like, okay, they're going to be important somehow later on in the story, and they're going to be behind all this, right? Um, so that kind of hindered with the enjoyment of the actual story, uh, that aspect of it. So I would I would fault that. I do think some of the some of like Juliet's mental um, internal monologue, right, from from the third person, as you said, but some of her internal monologue is probably just about Shanghai in nineteen twenty instead of like anything from today, um, like the anti-communist sentiment was like most of the gangsters probably did have, or well, they, they did have anti-communist sentiment. And then in terms of like the city being carved up, that would, would have been also like what had happened at the time. I do think she is trying to draw certain parallels, which doesn't really work. Um, so I guess I'm just saying, I guess I'm saying I, I can see what she's trying to do with a lot of these things. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it didn't bother me too much. Yeah, I agree. I think that, and I, I think it also stems, a lot of the problems stem from YA genre in general, is that it it's not really known for its, like, heavy-hitting social commentary. Um, so, like, a lot of, so I think the shortfalls in that sort of section is more due to the fact that she's restrained by the YA genre um but also yeah I mean I didn't really realize until now but yes you're right there are there is a little bit um but also like I guess I mean she does place a lot of faith in 1920s America um but I there was quite a radical movement with like you know uh women and uh flapper women and that like that does it's not enough um, to cover the entire feminist uh, social commentary, but there is some, so I suppose you could sort of. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting. I I love YA as a genre. That's interesting to say, but like, um, so I'm used to a lot of the tropes and things that she uses in it, like third person, close third person point of view doesn't bug me at all because I've read lots of books where they do that all the time and I just finished rereading Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom where they literally just switch point of views every chapter so I think it's more of like that's sort of like the way the like bounce from perspective to perspective because they don't have that kind of nuanced one all the way through that you see a lot in adult fiction um so there was that um I did find it interesting that you said it was slow in the middle because I didn't have a chance I as I agree with Kevin I thought it was quite fast-paced maybe I think maybe because I didn't see a lot of it but also YA is predictable um so I was like I'm in for the ride <laughs> of and I knew that it was based on Romeo and Juliet anyway um, but I do agree that she uses Romeo and Juliet, specifically the romance as a crutch. Um, but it reminded me of something like Holly Black's The Cruel Prince and um, The Foxhole Court, where it's like a slow burn sort of thing where they, they're enemies to lovers, but it's like it takes a while and you see like hints of the tension, um, but they hate each other more <laughs> throughout yeah. most of it. See, like, yeah, I, like, I'm a really big fan of the enemies to lovers trope. Like, mm. I really enjoy it. Um, it's my guilty pleasure. But uh, I think the really crucial thing about doing it right is 
that initial spark. Um, mm. And for me, it just was missing in this one. I think like it was slow because uh, there wasn't that initial interest. Um, whereas with something like The Cruel Prince, from the get-go, you have this uh, really personal and intimate True. hatred. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Whereas in, in this book, it was we are supposed to know that they hate each other because their families hate each other. And mm. that's, I, I guess, what I was trying to say about using Romeo and Juliet as a bit of a uh, crutch because... Um, we had to wait to find out why they like hate each other or why they True. didn't um they weren't in love anymore but the answer was so obvious it wasn't a payoff it wasn't a mystery <laughs> it was yeah. because of the feud obviously <laughs> so you just are like oh okay yeah i guess um yeah fair enough yeah. and then at the end oh sorry I do agree then at the end like I would have liked to have found out that like because they reignite the hatred at the end spoilers um with the whole like I gave the tip off about your mom and everything um I would have liked to have known that sooner or that be one of the main motivations for Roma's severe hatred whatever of her um but a lot of the personal hate was synonymous with the general hate of the clans clashing against each other um which was necessary because it's a Romeo and Juliet retelling um and I was content with that but I can see why it would be like where's the actual anger <laughs> I mean like I didn't even mind that bit so much the thing that really got me which like maybe is at odds with what you think in particular Alexa because you really liked that beginning where it's like in glittering Shanghai and Monster Awakens it's kind of got this like present tense thing but there's no kind of structure to it she revives this weird perspective weird setting thing a couple of times but it's not at any critical juncture and it doesn't match with any of the other back and forth and it's not like you know you compared it to Six of Crows duology, which I love, and I feel like that's an unfair comparison because that's actually good. Um, but they have a lot of section breaks, which are really, really clear, and you know exactly what's happening, and it's a new movement, and that's why you have this. Whereas this was just like, it felt to me like she's just kind of jotted down all these notes and gone, oh, you know what? I have enough to put it into a book. I'm not going to edit anything, just slap it together. And that annoyed yeah, I agree. me. <laughs> I think okay, the valid. was a problem. Mm, I I do I was just using it to illustrate the fact that like there YA often relies on multiple points of view um but you're right they do it's a lot more structured in Six of Crows no hate to no hate to that I absolutely adore that that duology as well um and this is not as good as it um but I will say that I don't know I I thought the structure was interesting and I thought that the structure mirrored some of the chaos and confusion and you know um like the atmosphere I suppose of 1920s Shanghai and the whole divide and so I thought it was an interesting aesthetic choice to have it kind of jump all over the place and this the plot um and I liked the breaks because entirely personal but I write a lot like that where I have like the setting breaks and I do it in present so I like I was like oh that's so interesting I do that and I um I enjoyed it that 
I mean, I do it too. I love writing Mm. setting. I love, you know, I think it's really interesting to explore, but I don't like reading it. It's just, I acknowledge that it's trash and nobody likes it and it's too much flowery (laughs) language and it serves no purpose, right? I just do it for my own enjoyment and I don't expect anyone to read 500 pages where it's got all this kind of like up and down. It's not even the different character perspectives. Like different character perspectives are fine, but the fact that they all seem to have the same voice and you don't really know who's who until you get a name somewhere. It's like, oh, Benedict. And you're like, right now we're with Roma. Like now I know who we're talking about. And I don't know. Someone said it was kind of unexpected for the ending. I felt like it was very, 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 very predictable. Um, cannot stress that enough. Totally knew what was going to happen. Maybe also because I knew that there was a sequel coming. I was kind of hoping they just wouldn't resolve the issue at all and it'd be left on a big cliffhanger. So you have this kind of like, oh, moment. And it was like intense. But yeah, I mean, I am kind of happy to just leave it where it is. I'm happy to not read another one of these again. And it's maybe also because I feel like it's not dark academia and I was looking for that and I was excited about that. And maybe, you know, I don't, did anyone else get annoyed by the lack of dark academia elements in this particular book? I'm very sorry. I did not think it was dark academia at all. I knew it was like more magical realism fantasy. So I was more excited about it being in the 1920s and a Romeo and Juliet retelling. Um, so it didn't, yeah, you're right. It wasn't dark academia. Um, that was my bad. I put it down as dark academia. Um, but yeah. I think if you look up dark academia on Google, this is listed as one of those books and it's amongst things like a discovery of witches and ninth house, which I would call those dark academia, but not this. I found it interesting that Cheryl and Belle said the last 50 pages picked up because for me that was when it became uninteresting when the monster was fully unleashed. I agree. I, I enjoyed the monster when it was more the the build-up surrounding it of who it is and what it is and the underlying terror of it. Um, maybe compared to, you know, the pandemic and that sort of thing um but so yeah when the monster was revealed I did it wasn't underwhelming but it was a bit like we're throwing in the fantasy elements now um and I am a very big fan of magical realism so I liked that it was like how it was integrated into it um because you felt like there was there were like the dual plots of the feud and then also trying to um fight the monster not knowing what it was um I did think that some of it was kind of just there to keep the plot moving um they did a lot of run not chasing their own tails per se but there were there was a lot of like a few filler chapters with like Benedict like off them off trying to find the monster or find something um which I did think was a little bit mm, arbitrary um so yeah so I guess it's interesting that you think those filler chapters were about the monster because I would say the monster was like the background thing and the main thing there that was filling it was actually the kind of like romance that's building between Benedict and Marshall and all of that like I would say those are the key parts yeah those were the key parts I just found it like you could have built them in in a better way than having them like off randomly looking at the monster that section really confused. Sorry. 
Oh, no, I was just going to answer your question from before, Kevin. I mean, the thing about the last 50 pages that I liked is that they finally realized that the insects and the monster in the ocean are the same thing. I was like, it's so obvious from the start. I was like, please get to the point. (laughs) I agree. Right. So it's kind of just like for me being like, okay, we're near the end. Like maybe that was it. I don't know. <laughs> but when it clicks together and they're like, oh, we know what we're doing now. We can fight this. And then I was kind of like, okay, let's go. I could finish a lot. Like I finished the last 50 pages in one sitting instead of doing a page a day like I was before. Yeah. I, I found that the, uh, monster itself and the concept of that was a really wasted opportunity um I I do enjoy some magical realism um but I think it is a difficult concept to pull off because you need just enough like exposition and world building to make the magic believable um but not too much so that it overwhelms the uh kind of more realistic or central parts of the narrative so I do think it's actually a lot more difficult to do well than a lot of people realize especially given the prevalence of magical realism YA um urban fantasy as well I guess is is another um, way of describing it um and I felt like there was just no no reason why given why this could even exist why this could be a thing (laughs) um that somebody could um like like ingest uh, i can't even remember because it was so weird like or come into contact with some rare random beetle living in like england um and then like become like a monster um i was like what um and I really thought it was the missed opportunity to bring in some because there are some really interesting um like uh Chinese folktale uh uh monsters um and I don't know perhaps it's just other um stuff that I've been reading I like thought of like um I don't know like even like uh, the Poppy War, which is like a uh, Chinese-inspired fantasy series, like or just like oh, there's like a, a plethora of um, you know things to draw on, and obviously it's a, it's a it's a stylistic choice. But when I first started reading, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, cool, there's going to be this like blend of like Western and like Chinese like mythology, and kind of this idea of like cultures clashing, like you know, quote unquote, the old and the new, and and a, a culture in transition and because um, I think there was a bit of reference to that about how the people you know had been moving away from um, traditional dress to like western dress um, so I think that could have been really interesting um, and uh, obviously it went in a very different direction um, which I think is fine but I, I didn't understand <laughs> I didn't understand the motivations either for um was it Paul um who was the Paris character right um his motivation was like I want to make money Uh, was that it (laughs) well what I didn't understand is how he even came up with the vaccine that he's like going which was like like an opioid mixed with saline right I I know I think it was an opioid and the fake version was oh okay right right and dies but like I mean I kind of I can almost accept the whole unexplained monster man thing because you know like 
she's maybe going to explain it in the next book but as we know from pandemic this is just like extra on my nerves it takes time to create a vaccine and it takes time to come up with <laughs> yeah. like how did he manage to get this so that you know it didn't spread around England no one heard any news about it but he's already got a vaccine and it's all good guys it's all good like it makes no sense it was very strange I also was like <laughs> there were a few references to uh like flies being passed around that said get vaccinated and I was like, whoa, what? How did she know? But then I was like, no, 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 it's okay. This was released. I mean, it was released last year, right? 2020. Maybe. Yeah, so yeah funny. I, I mean, as well. you're right. Yeah, mm. the, the, the whole, whenever they talked about a vaccine, I was like, this just feels too real. Um, but actually, funnily enough, Belle, I had the same reaction as you in the beginning. Um, I thought the monster would either be a metaphor for yes, cultural transition, yeah. political, mm. social, cultural transition, mm -hmm. either that, or it would be something from mythology, from Chinese mm. mythology. Um, but when it didn't, when it turned out that it wasn't, I don't think I was gutted more so than I was like, oh, it's a YA thing. So, so I feel like I, and I, I've, I've sat back a bit and I've loved listening to Cheryl and Bell's um, your criticisms uh, because it's very well, very well put and you point out some good things that it's not not that I don't agree with, but I'm like, you know what? That's such a YA thing. And I don't read that much YA. If I read more, this book might've bugged me um, more. But in the end, I was like, you know what? I'll just try and enjoy it because it's not written for me. It's written for like 13 to 15 year olds or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think that was what I had to keep telling myself. <laughs> um, and I think part of the reason why I had such a strong negative reaction to this book was because I did have some hopes and because I have read a lot of YA in the past um, and so I was I was hoping you know on paper it it looked like something that I would be really interested in so I think it was a big factor of it was probably my personal disappointment um, mm. but I think I have read better YA as well um, like I, I I'm thinking of uh, oh what am I thinking of let me find it it is a uh, oh, spin the dawn. Has anybody read that one? Oh, I've heard of it. Mm. Elizabeth Lamb, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoyed that one. Uh, I haven't read the sequel, but it has um, a concept of it's. I think imperial, like fantasy imperial China, uh, but more of a. Uh, um, yeah, more of a fantasy thing. Uh, but uh, playing with, yeah, like uh, mythology, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think that there is some level of disappointment <laughs> because of the hype. Yeah. yeah. Very hyped. True. That's me too. I mean, my expectations were too high. Um, I did also tell myself, you know, this is YA, it's not for me. But at the same time, unlike Kevin, I can't let some things go because I feel like using YA as an excuse is not good enough to justify some of the really bad decisions that have been made in this book. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not an excuse for bad writing or bad plot in general, right? True. But I don't know. I, I take all... <laughs> I take all YA novels with a bit of a grain of salt going, well this isn't going to be as developed as an adult fiction fantasy novel. It's just not. Um, 
it is a shame that there are some elements that are lacking. And I do agree. I thought that the monster would be a little bit more, um, you know, related to the setting because the setting was so important that I thought it would be somehow related and maybe probably hopefully it is linked better in the second book and they discuss that a little bit more um but I'm kind of happy where it is in the terms of the monster did its job I guess as a plot device um and it did create that underlying terror and fear um which again felt very real um with the whole plague thing and COVID <laughs> um so I but yeah I mean, I don't know. I didn't go into it with particularly high level of analysis. I was just looking to have a bit of a fun read. And as much as it was, it was a fun read, interesting, um, told its story. Um, yeah, I actually thought this was a different one. Um, I thought, because there's two, there's these violent delights, um, and, and that's actually a Dark Academia novel. Um, and that one's got like lesbians in it. So I thought this was lesbians and then it was Roma. I was like, oh, but it was not. And I was like, oh, never mind. Um, there's two some... two novels and they're both called These Violent Delights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's been some confusion with this because oh. I yeah. meant to join us. And I think he mentioned in the last episode he was in, he had started reading the wrong book because it's also called oh. These Violent Delights and it's also Dark Academia. Like, yeah. And that one's way more dark academia. So mm. I thought that that was the one originally. And then I picked this one up and I, it was this one. But um, so that's where the dark academia and the whole um, thing comes in, um, which I do, which was. That makes so much more sense because I remember asking you guys to explain dark academia and then I kind of got it a little bit. And I started reading this yeah. book and I was like, okay, I don't get it. <laughs> but, it's, yeah, but, it's no. not really. Um, Fair enough. So yeah, but nonetheless, um, I think that, I don't know, I enjoyed the writing. I thought it was cool. Um, it's actually been a while since I read this. Um, I read this like a month or two before, so I don't remember all of the specific details. Um, but I just remember that I, I did enjoy it and I read it very quickly um, because I do find YA very easy to read. That's The readability is nice um, compared to like adult fantasy, I find that just particularly for me, I like the way um, YA fantasy, particularly this one is structured because it's it lends itself to like a kind of, not an easy layout, if you know what I mean, but it, it, you can follow the pace quite well, at least in my opinion. Um, but yeah, and I thought that the way YA does it, like they have those one few lines that you're like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. Um, so I tapped those in my own. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting to see the range of opinions. Um, and I guess it just depends on like personal preference stuff. And yeah, I would argue that it's not a bad book. I liked it. <laughs> um, and I'm interested to see what she does with it. And hopefully, yes, it, um, it loses some of its more undeveloped things in the sequel and becomes a little bit more refined. Um, and explains a few things. I would like to see more explanation surrounding Juliet and Roma. And if we have the same thing where they're forced to work together again, which is what it sounds like it's going to be, then that's slightly disappointing because it's kind of just a repeat of 
them having to work together to figure this out, um, which is a very common trope for enemies to lovers, where they kind of just like force them to um, work together. Yeah, I'd be really interested if the second book was not actually about Roma and Juliet at all, right? Like if it was Benedict and Marshall or if it was about Kathleen, right? Like if it was a book from their perspectives, I think it would be a much more interesting and it would allow kind of this movement away from that crutch of the tropes and the stereotypes that you get from borrowing or stealing however you like to view it from a classic that everyone kind of already knows and has expectations of yeah I agree and I think the introduction of the relationship between Benedict and uh, uh, Marshall um, brings that new flavor and and that originality that kind of uh, means that the reader like doesn't know what's going to happen next you know even if you do subvert the Romeo and Juliet story uh like she has um there's still an element of we know what's going to happen it's Romeo and Juliet so I think the kind of introduction of a new relationship could bring I guess some new life but yeah I wanted to ask how you guys thought about the handling of Shakespeare and uh, Romeo and Juliet in general because um, I know Alexa you mentioned you really like adaptations I'm a massive Shakespeare nerd I love Shakespeare so much so I'm often quite critical of um, adaptations and retellings um, but what did you guys find? I mean I like funny adaptations that are done well like there's a version of Hamlet which is like a play written so that like I think like primary school age children can do the play and it's funny it's like Ophelia um I think instead of like drowning she just shoots herself and she's like goodbye and she walks off stage and that's it and it's just got all this like comic elements and I like that you know because it's enough that you know it sticks to the story but you have a bit of a laugh and you know that it's intentionally meant to be that way but I don't like adaptations in general when they're trying really hard to take the story but move it into a new time and move it like out of what makes sense because a lot of the things that make sense in the time don't really necessarily make sense elsewhere like we said with this one there's so much reliance on this whole like idea of a blood feud because they're gangs but they never even explained where the original blood feud came from um which with a more modern story you kind of expect there's some kind of history that's been passed down um so yeah personally not that big a fan fair enough um argue that that was the whole point of the original thing that they didn't have a reason for the blood feud it was just ongoing um that they were both alike in dignity um and the blood feud wasn't explained so I thought that that was good but um I love a good Shakespeare adaptation um I think that they're really interesting um and I love when people bring something fresh to the story um, because I like when people take something and change it, um, and particularly Shakespeare, because I do love Shakespeare. Um, true, yeah, fair enough. Um, so that's always great. Um, if We Were Villains by L.M. Rio um, is different to this, but, like, it takes the a host of actors, that Dark Academia, it takes a host of Shakespearean actors and puts them in their own Shakespearean tragedy that plays out. Um, and that one's fantastic. Um, I really loved, for example, um, 
Paz Lumens from you and Juliet because I thought it was interesting again to shift it into a different time. Um, but so yeah, so I like a good um, Shakespeare retelling. I like how you can see the different elements and what the what they take as important from each of the stories um, because I think that that's the most important. Well, one of the most important things in an adaptation being what did you find, like what was your interpretation that you thought was so re relevant, necessary to include um, from the original story that you brought it into your adaptation? And I find that examining it from that point of view um, is interesting. And whether it's something like Twelfth Night, where they take the humor and the comedy and or they take the gender um, questions and they emphasize those instead. Um, I think that all, everyone has like a new perspective. So in this case, um, I think that with the Romeo and Juliet retelling that it definitely did take a new direction on it. I liked the change in setting um, because it brought new elements to why they were feuding, um, maybe a little bit underdeveloped, which was a shame, but there was definitely re elements of research. So I maybe hopefully she'll bring those in more as well um, to expand on that. But I thought that it was interesting how she integrated the feud and how she changed Romeo and Juliet into more believable characters, at least for me. Because what one of the things that irks me about the original Romeo and Juliet is that with the star-crossed lovers thing, um, they kind of just fall straight into it. And I know that that's a perspective and that's an analysis, um, but it personally irritates me. So I liked seeing them with a little bit more flavor characterization. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's always interesting to see what different authors perceive to be the essence of Shakespeare and what they think uh, Romeo and Juliet is all about. Um, and I think what I always got from it and what I got from the Baz Luhrmann adaptation was this feeling of family, which I didn't get from this um, from this book the parents are so uninvolved they literally I think there's a scene where Roma's dad is like this is boring I don't want to be involved <laughs> um and he just leaves and then we don't see we we get told all the time about how there's so much pressure and how you know Roma has to fill this position and Juliet is constantly trying to prove herself but we don't see any evidence of that um and to me, uh, the most important message that Shakespeare tries to, to tell us in Romeo and Juliet is about uh, how the community needs to protect its children and about how uh, they were kind of victims of this senseless feud. Um, and there's no reckoning of that whatsoever because um, the children are seen as soldiers in the gang empire. They're not seen in the same way as um, they are in the original. So I don't think that my um, personal interpretation of Julie, Romeo and Juliet was realized. And also I, for me, Shakespeare is all about the language, you know, it's the beautiful, beautiful prose um, and, and poetry that is obviously very difficult to translate into a novel. Um, but I think, you know, uh, it also comes down to the interactions between the characters, like some of Mercutio's speeches 
and the kind of way that they banter about. Like I really wanted that scene of the boys before they go to the ball. It's one of my all-time favorite scenes. Um, and there was just nothing like that because the setting was so grim. And the setting in the original is grim as well. But um, there's, yeah, Queen Mab, yeah. There's just no um, kind of, Shakespeare always likes to bring some comedy. Um, and there was attempts, but it, it felt very sardonic. There was a lot of like, oh, you know me, like I just like to drink alcohol and shoot people, ha, ha, ha. And it was a little bit kind of like, okay, yeah, um, edgy, uh, you know, Tumblr humour or whatever. So um, I think, yeah, there, there was definitely some of my favourite parts of Shakespeare um, were, not, were not brought across. But everybody takes something different. And I think the plots um, of uh, Shakespearean stories are typically what people remember the most. To me, not the most important thing, but, you know, I think they do have a very, uh, a very significant impact. Linked to that, I just wanted to ask your opinion on Marshall and Benedict then in terms of how their relationship is, is played out in this book, because that was something that I found very odd. Not that I didn't like it, I thought it was fine. It was just very odd because it went nowhere, I suppose. But like it had to be there because she wanted it to be there. I felt like that was the real slow burn because there was no real romance between Juliet and Roma. It was kind of like, yeah, we said it happened, but did it really, <laughs> right? But this was like actually building up to something and especially towards the end or actually like at the very end, spoilers alert, when Marshall is in hiding because he's not actually dead, right? We kind of see these real feelings coming through and we see that they are actually mutual, right? And so you kind of get this like insight into it. So I did like it I did think it was interesting I don't think it was very like Shakespeare kind of you know if we're talking about adaptations I don't think it really played into that a lot but I mean I don't mind I think that's one of the things where she really added her originality in a way that was appreciated that I respect I've actually seen a lot of adaptations at least online where they have put them together Mercutio and um yeah I was, I was Benvolio yeah um so it didn't really come as a massive surprise to me um I like the way she did it that it was more of a slow burn because a lot of the times um people frame it as like a long-term relationship um so I liked that like and it played off with like the, sh the shockness of him dying and then not dying um I do agree that I love that scene with Queen Love and they didn't have that banter but again, I kind of just played that off as it being like the grim, dark sort of setting and atmosphere that she was trying to build and explore. Like at least for me, it was all about like the tensions and the different tensions. Um, but yes, I would have liked a little bit more of the original um, Shakespearean humor because that is one of my favorite things about it, all of the dick jokes and <laughs> and the um, and the humor and like, you know, the way that offsets um but I guess that's more um again or leaning on the YA crutch a little bit but a lot of them tend to be quite dark without much humor um which is a shame there should be more humor in YA it's hard to recommend when you are recommending books and people come in like I want a light tale I'm like you got romance or nothing 
Um, so yeah, there, that is definitely an interesting part of it. On the humor element, I would say I didn't expect any humor because I did think it was dark academia and that isn't really something you see. But um, I kind of didn't really mind that there wasn't any. I feel like humor would have felt like, you know, exactly what it is, just comic relief thrown in there without really fitting into anything else, especially given this really dark setting. So I don't think it was a problem for this particular book, but it does mean that it does drag a bit. It is kind of slow. Well, yeah, it does know it, it's, I guess I, it was buoyed for me by the um, plot line and, and stuff. But yes, I agree. I think that humor would have been a little bit, um, and it does have its moments, but less so. Um, yes, as Belle said, sarcastic, edgy, 2014 Tumblr humor. Um, but I do respect that humor. I have that humor. So <laughs> I was willing to roll with it. Any last thoughts on this particular book? Okay, cool. I, I uh, hope the next one's a bit better. <laughs> Indeed. We'll see how the sequel is. It's coming out like the 24th of November this year. So, oh, wow. That's yeah, great. so very Quick soon turnaround. we can grab it. Yay. <laughs> um, see if it's any good. Hopefully it is. Hopefully it we can have a book club episode about it next year to follow mm -hmm. up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we're going to do the whole duology. Um, but I feel like as well, just in general, YA is, and I do like it, that it's shifting towards more duologies now in YA because there are some fantastic duologies out there. Um, not this one particularly, but there are fantastic ones out there. Um, and I am glad that we've made that shift so that there aren't trilogies um, because I feel like a lot of, YA suffered as a result of having to force it to the be the third books. book is always a letdown <laughs> yes the third book yeah it's either the first and the third are fantastic and the second book is second book is disgusting or like we maintain this strength through the first and the second but then on the third they just like don't know how to end it and it falls away um so... I mean pulling it back to dark academia I think other trilogies do that too I really like the also trilogy which is discovery of witches mm. um but I think the second book was terrible the, the first and the last book were good um but yeah I mean does anyone have dark academia recommendations actually because I've mentioned ninth house which is Lee Bardugo which I love mm. can't wait for the second book of that so and, good uh, all souls of course and I think Alexa you've mentioned if we were villains Yes, LM Leo would definitely recommend. Um, well, looking at my shelf, um, I've got, uh, well, I think it's not, not really dark academia, but it's got the same sort of vibes, like the starless sea. It's fantasy, but it's library and that sort of academic setting. Um, so you could read it as that. Um, obviously, The Secret History is the OG um, dark academia book. Um, and that one Donna is, Tart. yeah, Donna Tart. Um, and that one's really great um, because, I mean, dark academia as a genre is defined by, you know, the sort of gray morality um, set against the backdrop of academia in some sense. Ninth House is great as well. I loved that one. Very exciting. Um, yeah. 
that's about it for my dark academia recommendations. Elle, did you have any? Um, I think, yeah, once you've read The Secret History, it's hard uh, to compare <laughs> um, to anything else. I'm just having a look. Uh, there's The Betrayals by Bridget Collins, uh, which is an interesting one. Um, some people I know really love it. Some people really hate it. So you can kind of uh, make your own opinion. Um, but it's about, um, it's really interesting. It's concept. It's uh, the school institution setting isn't about like books or anything. It's this concept of like, there's a grand game um, that people go to study and it has a lot of different elements to it. So um, well, it's pretty interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but. <laughs> it's an emerging genre. Like it's not really, um, more people love it for the aesthetics than they do the actual novels. All about it. the book cover. Mm. And there's a lot, there's a lot of like YA books that have that, um, A Touch of Vengeance, I believe, is Dark Academia now, Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. Um, they all have the same sort of thing of, you know, um, private school, locked up, um, secrets, hidden thriller, intrigue, that sort of vibe. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a good genre um it's just a shame that these violent delights was not it <laughs> yeah yeah that's disappointing um kevin did you have any dark academia i know you didn't really know what the genre was before yeah i don't think i have any um recommendations for dark academia i've never really read anything from that genre but just from the list that you had sent a bit earlier i noticed that one flew over the cuckoo's nest and murder on the orient express are considered dark academia which i find interesting because and percy jackson and dead poet society wow so maybe i have okay and I oh have yeah dead poets i think dead definitely poets. fit into that genre. definitely okay and yeah, Miz, percy, and Solaris. percy jackson no and narnia anyway narnia, i don't yes. know so maybe Voyage I have of the Dawn Treader. but i don't really know yeah voyage of the dawn Treader. i don't really voyage know of the dawn any... Treader is the best one mm -hmm. yeah so yeah but why, why is the brief history of time considered dark academia isn't that non-fiction uh it's more it's it's more like what people would read as a like as a dark like to embody a dark academia protagonist oh, I, see, I forgot I to see. mention um the atlas six i recently read that and that's like a new-ish um dark academia book and that one's relatively good not as good as the secret history or if we were villains but it's it tries a little too hard but it is good <laughs> I don't know that I have read very many of these books but they do sound interesting and I do like the aesthetic that comes with dark academia of like heavy wood bookshelves and big leather chairs so I am going to invest in this genre <laughs> anyway um we'll just wrap up and ask you all what is on your shelves and what are you reading at the moment I can go Oh, well, okay, I'll go. Um, I, last time, last episode when I did it with Cheryl, I talked about Kazunobu Shigeru, and now I've completed Never Let Me Go and The Remains of the Day, um, 
So I'm three Ishiguro books in and all of them are masterful. He might become my favorite author. I do have a couple more of his lined up that I want to finish by the end of the year. I have a pale view of hills, an artist of the floating world, and one that's set in Shanghai actually called When We Were Orphans. Um, I've heard mixed things, but I'm excited. And then I did, after reading Normal People and loving it, um, I lent it to Alexa. She didn't like it that much, but I read Sally Rooney's new book. Um, it was good until the end, but it was also kind of a mess. It was like her unfinished essays mixed with awkward romance dialogue and like genuine erotica. So I didn't really know how to what like what to make of it. Um, it was a bit weird. Um, but Cheryl, you'll be very happy to know that I borrowed this of someone, a gentleman in Moscow. Yeah, and I'm yes, actually going to start it tonight. Yeah, we started tonight. So I'll chat with you about it as I'm as I'm reading it. That's amazing. So those are my books. Recommending that to everyone. Yeah, I, I, I got to it. Yeah, my friend had read it and she was like, it's a great book. And I thought of you, I thought of Cheryl and I'm like, okay, I have to borrow it. I have to read it just for book club. Yeah, um, I've actually been doing a lot of reading, which is fun. Um, as Kevin mentioned, I read Normal People, Sally Rooney. I did not like it. I thought it was mediocre. Um, I also just finished rereading Six of Crows. Is there, there isn't really a Six of Crows duology. Um, and Crooked Kingdom, fantastic. I forgot how much I loved them because like when I read them, it was like 2015 or something. So um, those were great. I also just finished Iron Widow by, um, oh, I'm going to butcher this for Sue Ron J. Sal. Um, and uh, they are, they are a great author. Um, this was amazing. Um, it was like, um, yeah, it's actually ironic because it's set in like futuristic um, China and there's like the Great Wall and, um, but this was so good. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. So I would recommend um, as, but again, YA, so grain of salt, but it had polyamory, um, and sci-fi element. It was sci-fi and it was so good. I loved it so much. I added it to my list because the cover looks awesome, which no one on the podcast can see, but you should look it up because the art is amazing. I have a special copy, so this is my copy. Yeah, very pretty. Uh, look it up. <laughs> Well, I have just finished um, two books, uh, this one that we've been talking about, and uh, Mansfield Park. Um, and so now I'm deciding what to read next. And I've bought uh, We Hunt the Flame by Hafsha Faisal. So I might give that one a go. But I also, that's YA fantasy, so going back to my roots. Um, and I might also read Convenient Store Woman by Sayaka Murata, um, which has been very popular. Um, I've seen that, um, like pretty much in every bookstore I've been into. So, and it's like this, it's very, very short. <laughs> so hopefully I can knock that over. I just have a quick question. Um, because you guys are much more into books than I am. Do any of you guys know the Italian author Eleanor Ferrante? Apparently it's a pseudonym. Yes. 
yeah so my brilliant friend um that's yes. the series yes yes, yes yeah yes. um my I cannot attest from myself but okay, my mother right. has read and loved them um oh good then I trust your mother if you are a book person so mm. yeah it's a very well beloved uh series yes yes very that's beloved to know. I'm looking forward to it I've never yeah. read any Italian literature but um yeah apparently her books are set in Naples London and Naples mm -hmm. seems like a very yeah, like Shanghai, another city, one of those cities that would make for a great setting. With history. So, yeah. There you go. Good anyway. stuff. I just finished These Violent Delights like three days ago, but since then I started reading The Outcasts of Time by Ian Mortimer, which I'm really liking. I'm only three chapters in, but his chapters are really, really, really long. So that's 120 pages. It's like a third of the way into the book. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting storyline. It's basically... Um, plague notes again like literal plague 1348 two brothers catch the plague and they are given six days to live and they have a choice whether they choose to live out the rest of their days in their own time and continue having the plague and living a miserable life until the end or be cured of the plague but only live six days um, with each day being 99 years into the future so it's kind of like a time travel historical fiction element. Um, it has a lot of internal complexity with the main character, John in particular, but not in a really tedious way and is really, really hard to put down. And it is so well researched because Ian, Mortim Ian Mortimer sorry, is a legit historian, like he is a medieval historian. So he is on point with everything. It is amazing. And I usually hate first person writing with the present kind of continuous tense. Like I couldn't get past the first chapter of Red, White and Royal Blue because I hated it so much. Like, I mean, also that book kind of screamed trashy Beatry to me and I wasn't really feeling it, um, but I don't mind it in this book. I actually really like the way it plays out and it's such a big sell for me, this historical fiction element that I don't even care about this kind of writing style. Um, yeah, I would say the only downside so far is that, you know, the chapters are really long. I think the first chapter alone was 40 pages and there isn't really much of a break within each chapter. So you kind of have to dedicate reading time to it. And it's not something you can easily um, pick up and put down, especially if you're like on the move or busy or anything like that. So yeah, that's The Outcasts of Time by Ian Mortimer. All right, so I think that is it for this episode. Um, so you can tune in for our next and final episode of the year where we will be talking about a book for the road, the best books to bring on a road trip. And until next time, thank you for listening.